Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. Thanks for joining us on the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. This month is the start of a new series on Vision Zero. I'm happy to welcome back to the show a previous guest, Debbie Herzman. Debbie is the president and CEO of the National Safety Council and chair of the Road to Zero Coalition, which is managed by the council. And I'm also joined by Jeff Pagnotti, ITE's executive director and CEO, who serves on the coalition's steering committee. Debbie, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you. Thanks, Bernie. Glad to be here. For those who might not be familiar with the Road to Zero Coalition and the report that recently came out, just briefly, could you, Debbie, give me just an overview of both the Road to Zero Coalition and then maybe a, a quick overview of the report that was recently released laying out the strategy to end roadway deaths in the U.S. by 2050? Absolutely. So this is a really exciting project that actually was uh, conceived of back in 2016. And in October of 2016, the Department of Transportation, and specifically the Federal Highway Administration, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, and the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, the three modals that have a large responsibility for safety on the roadways, They did something unprecedented. They all came together. They all committed to really embracing a zero vision, and they sponsored the formation of the Road to Zero Coalition. Now, the Road to Zero Coalition is actually now an organization that's comprised of about 700 different organizations and individuals over the last 18 months who have joined us on this journey. Um, both the National Safety Council and ITE are on the steering group. And so um, the organization is really a a group uh, of the willing, and um, it doesn't cost anything to join the coalition. You just have to be committed to trying to achieve zero fatalities by 2050. And the coalition's focused on three things since our inception. One is building that coalition of the willing, getting that group together, really enlarging the circle and making sure that everyone's talking to each other, that there's uh, sharing of best practices and people understanding priorities that are not necessarily always in their lane. The second piece is giving grants. And over the last two years, we've given $2.5 million in grants to 18 different recipients, and they have used that money for innovative projects, or sometimes projects with proven countermeasures that may be focused on doing it a different way, or research to try to get us to zero. And we're hoping that we can learn lessons from those grant programs to share nationally. The third and final piece was creating a vision document, and we began working on that vision document in 2017. We convened multiple meetings, and we had dozens of stakeholders that participated in those meetings with us, Um, And we had everyone represented from the auto manufacturers to highway engineers to emergency response uh, leadership to law enforcement. And so we had uh, listening sessions where we really gathered information, set priorities, 
um, work together to try to identify what some of the roadblocks were going to be to try to get to zero. And we really set this course. The RAND Corporation has drafted the report for us, but it really represents the work of the entire coalition. And I'd say the steering group really did a lot of heavy lifting on that, and I have to take my hat off to Jeff, uh, who's on the call with us, because he really served as one of the anchors of the steering group, helping us to get focused, um, think about how we communicate with other organizations and the general public. But we had a great group of people working with us. We published the report, and it is the full report is available online. So if you visit Road to Zero, uh, if you look up Road to Zero, or if you visit NSC, our National Safety Council, our website, you can download the Road to Zero report. Again, it's free. And it really outlines that vision of how we get to zero fatalities by 2050. The experience in participating in the Road to Zero Coalition has been really a, a great experience, I think, for me personally, and but also for ITE. You know, it's been an opportunity to, I think, broaden relationships and build collaboration with people and organizations that I hadn't uh, worked with in the past. You know, there's a lot of familiar players in the coalition, but as Debbie indicated, it's a very broad coalition, and it brings in people and organizations that maybe weren't familiar with ITE, weren't connected with ITE. So that's been a, a great experience. And I think the process that we went through in creating the report and in, you know, a little bit of storming and norming as part of that and engaging with one another and working with the RAND folks, I think, was a very productive discussion, not just in creating the report, but I think in in enlightening each other about the possibilities and how we can get to zero by 2050, and that is possible. And I think that engagement was a critical part not only of creating the report, but I think of building the coalition and strengthening the coalition. Deb talked a little bit earlier about some of the strategies that are laid out in the report. One of those is prioritizing safety, and there are a couple of concepts that are outlined under that strategy, safe systems and safety culture. First, I wanted to ask you, Jeff, if you could discuss a bit about safe systems, and then, Debbie, maybe you could talk a little bit about safety culture after that. I think safe systems is one of the key concepts that underpins the report and the approach, I think, the implementation going forward. And again, it's something that really originated in Sweden but has spread to many other countries. And the basic concept is really understanding and accepting that that drivers are human or that travelers are human and that humans make mistakes. And as much as we work on trying to convince them to be better um, drivers and more conscientious and more um, tuned in that the reality is that it doesn't always happen. And the challenge, I think, for transportation professionals, and I think particularly for those of us that are involved with designing, managing, and operating the infrastructure, is what can we do to create a safer system so that when someone makes a mistake, that it doesn't result in a fatality or a serious injury. And there are many tools that we have available to us to do this. And I think an increasing number as we've done more and more work in the area of complete streets, for example, and as we've come to understand better the impact and the interactions 
between the infrastructure that we design and the way we operate that infrastructure and how the travelers, whether they be drivers or bicyclists or pedestrians, react to that infrastructure and that operations. You know, one of the things that's always made me a little bit crazy is the number that's often cited that 94% of all crashes are a result of driver error. Well, sure, drivers, if you if you trace back, you know, often someone has made a, an error in judgment or a mistake or perhaps they were distracted, but there are many things that we can do to prevent those driver errors from happening. And by just accepting the 94% and kind of saying, well, I guess it's just the driver, it sort of assumes that there's nothing we can do about it or, or conveys that attitude. And I think that's the wrong attitude. I think there are many things we can do about it, and there are many ways that we can prevent drivers from uh, making inadvertent mistakes or ways that we can uh, regulate the speed at which they travel through the design and operation of the system, for example. So I think safe systems is an important concept that we have, I think, some of professionals within the United States understand and are practicing and, and trying to apply it, but I think we have a ways to go to really get our minds around what a safe system approach means and to follow it daily as we're designing and managing the systems. And when we talk about safety culture, Safety culture is really a broad set of attitudes and beliefs that underlie people's decisions. Um, and when we think about things that um, we care about or things that we're nervous about or things that are important to us, we think about things like culture. So think about how seatbelt use has become a norm in our lifetime. When I was a kid, uh, we didn't have child safety seats. Um, like we do today, and we didn't really buckle up. And my children, their life is very different. Their norms have changed. Their attitudes about restraint use has changed. Likewise, our attitudes about smoking have changed in the course of our lifetimes. Um, we can't smoke on airplanes, in hospitals, in office buildings. And so when we're talking about trying to socialize um, how we think about safety, um, the aviation industry is a great example, and I use um, the event that occurred last month on Southwest Airlines as a perfect touch point when we talk about safety culture. There is a tremendous expectation of safety in aviation, so much so that we have gone without a U.S. carrier having a fatality in uh, aviation in the United States. Since February of 2009, the first fatality that we had uh, involving a passenger was last month. And almost everyone in the U.S. is aware of that. They're familiar with the circumstances. And, in fact, I think it made people pay a lot more attention during safety briefings and put their seatbelts on even when they weren't, you know, required to when they were in their seats. I fly almost every week. But we have a lot of people who are very nervous flyers. But the thing is, people don't get nervous when they walk out in the morning to get in their car. And they, they don't text their loved ones before they get into their car in their parking lot uh, to drive home and say, if I haven't told you lately, I just want to let you know I love you, because they are not worried 
that there's something that's going to happen on their drive home. We've become very complacent, but we lose 100 people on our roadways every day. And should we have reacted to the event on Southwest Airlines the way we did? Absolutely. We should care about every fatality, and we should figure out how to make sure that never happens again. But we underreact every day to over 100 people that are killed on the roadways, and their lives are no less important. And so when we talk about safety culture, it's about the decisions that each of us make every day. 10,000 people every year are killed in alcohol-impaired driving crashes. That's 10,000 people killed. We have hundreds of thousands of people that are injured, some of them with life-altering, debilitating injuries. But we still have a lot of decision-making that involves people getting behind the wheel when they're impaired, not just by drugs uh, or, or alcohol, but sometimes even by prescription or over-the-counter medication, and we just don't think about that warning label on the bottle that says, do not operate heavy machinery. It doesn't mean just a backhoe or a crane. It means a car. And so safety culture is about putting safety first um, and creating that environment. We're just like in aviation, that we don't want one bad thing to happen to one person, and we all prioritize that in our decision-making not just professional drivers, but each of us on the roadway and each of us as passengers. And then we talk about lawmakers and policymakers and decision makers making that one of their priorities. There were lots of hearings after events came out in the aviation industry to say, what's the oversight look like? What do we need to do to uh, address this or change things? We need to have that same desire Um, to save lives and reduce injuries on our roadways. And only when we have commitment at the highest levels uh, to do that will we allocate resources, demonstrate leadership, and apply the right focus on technology to say we've got to do everything that we can. And getting to zero by 2050 is a really hard thing. And so we're not not trying to say this is going to be simple. But what we are saying is when we ask hard things, it's going to require, you know, hard work, and it's going to require some leadership and some decision-making. And so just like when President Kennedy challenged us within a decade to send a man safely to the moon and return them to Earth again, there were a lot of people who probably thought that was pretty impossible back in the 1960s. But, in fact, we did send a man to the moon and bring him back to Earth Uh, safely before I was even born. And so when we look at that was almost, that was over 50 years ago that that challenge was issued uh, and answered, how do we think about the next 30 years and what challenges we need to answer um, going forward? And I certainly think 40,000 fatalities on our roadways merits additional focus, commitment, and, you know, that change in safety culture that's really needed. Jeff, looking at this from ITE's perspective, how does this tie into ITE's work with its Vision Zero initiative and what the coalition is doing? Yeah, I think there's a a nice um, complementary relationship between the two. You know, ITE, before the coalition was established back in July 2016, took the step of establishing its own Vision Zero initiative. And that really came from our president at the time, Paula Flores, and our board of directors recognizing that while ITE and its members have have always worked on safety and considered safety a key priority for the organization, 
that we could do more and that we could be more visible and we could be more aggressive and needed to be on safety and really to align ourselves with the concept of Vision Zero. And so it started with creating a statement of intent and making it clear to our membership that this was a responsibility that we had, both individually and collectively, and organizing ourselves around, you know, a steering committee and a technical working group to begin to think through what were the tools, the resources, the information that our members needed to strive toward Vision Zero and to do a better job of addressing the safety issues within their areas of responsibility. And so when the Road to Zero Coalition came along, it was a perfect opportunity for us to join forces with, as Deb says, this coalition of the willing and with the leadership of USDOT and begin to look at how our efforts could fit together with the efforts of other organizations and individuals who might be focused on different parts of the safety problem, but they all in the end fit together, right? We're trying to figure out how to, you know, work with drivers and travelers and how to improve vehicles and how to enhance the design and operation of the roadway. And it all needs to fit together as a system. And I think by working together as a broad coalition and through the various efforts, we've been able to contribute from ITE's perspective. I think we've added something to the discussion and to the products, and I know we've taken some things away that have benefited our efforts and our members as well. Debbie, what are some of the next steps that the Road to Zero Coalition is going to be taking following the report's release? First, I think we have to make sure that people are exposed uh, to the report. And I think this means certainly the professionals that work in this industry every day. So we have tremendous opportunities to share uh, the work that was done. It took a good 18 months to put all this together, so we want to make sure that we spend some time making sure that we're sharing the messages that are in the report and really talking through it with people. Um, and I think this goes to the people who are listening to this podcast. They're listening because they care. They're a part of this community, uh, and they and they want to be involved because they are they're listening. So that extra discretionary effort that they're giving to be part of this podcast means that they're committed. So that report is out there and making sure people are familiar with it. Um, you know, when we begin to change things or try to set large goals, we need a lot of people who are going to be moving in that direction. When we think about things like adopting technology or, um, you know, new going new directions, whether it's um, with programs or policies, you're going to have some people who are early adopters, but then you've got to get that critical uh, point where it starts to catch on. And I think the more people we can have talking about just saying we want to get to zero fatalities on our roadway and moving away from that cultural novocaine of this is just something that's going to happen and we just need to accept it, I think that's really important. And so then it's about taking the message out beyond the highway safety community and the people who are really immersed in it and bringing it to policymakers and decision makers and the general public. And I think um, when we look back at things like um, how we've changed attitudes about smoking and other things, um, it's about, you know, a lot of messaging, a lot of different communications, and it's about research and data and showing that they that secondhand smoke was dangerous to people. And I think in this situation, it's making sure that we have done all of that work and that we're communicating effectively about it. 
And then I think it's it's taking some of the specifics. And you know, it's just like a it's just like a football game. You get to the end zone by moving down the field one yard at a time. And I think we have got to uh, really double down on what works. We know, for example, a very simple thing is that seatbelts save lives. We have 90% observed seatbelt use rate in the United States for front seat passengers. That 10% that's unbelted represents 50% of the occupant fatalities. And so when we see 50% of our occupant fatalities are unbelted, how do we just begin to move the needle a little bit on uh, the occupant protection? We're trailing our international counterparts when it comes to seatbelt use rate, and we know that states have primary seatbelt laws actually see higher seatbelt use. So it seems like this technology is out there. It's pretty simple. All cars have it. We just need to get people to use it. And so the doubling down on what works means how do we move to 100% so that 50% of those occupant fatalities that are unbelted passengers, we can eliminate those. Um, so there, we have, we have uh, the ability to influence things today, right now. And when it comes to technology, I think we've got a lot of technology in our vehicles, just three technologies that are commercially available, automatic emergency braking, lane departure warning, and blind spot monitor could save 10,000 lives every year if they were on all vehicles. We have to have more companies that are putting those out as standard equipment for all trim lines. Toyota committed to doing that this year, um, but we have all auto man- manufacturers in the U.S committing to a voluntary agreement on automatic emergency braking by 2022. If a car, average car, lasts 11 and a half years in the U.S., we've got to get some of these life-saving technologies out faster. And then by 2050, we're probably going to be looking at automated vehicles and how, how we integrate those into the fleet and ensure that our infrastructure is designed to accommodate them and all the different kind of permutations of what automation might look like are going to be things that we're going to all have to work together on. But I am absolutely confident that zero is the right number. And it might seem impossible, but I would just say it seems impossible because we haven't done it yet. But we have cities, we have communities, we have states that will go days, weeks, or months, or even years with zero fatalities. And so we have done this on small scale. We just need to make sure that we're able to replicate the successes on a larger scale. And Jeff, for ITE, what new work are you going to be taking on in the coming year in support of Vision Zero? Well, let me tell you about a few things we have done and then a few things we will do. So Deb talked about, obviously, one of the strategies is doubling down on what works. My um, comparison to her example on seatbelts would be roundabouts. Right? Nobody dies at a roundabout, or very, very, very few people die in a crash at roundabouts because roundabouts control the speed and separate the conflicts of entry into that crossing as people, you know, traverse it. And so what we might see is um, more rear end crashes, but we don't see the high speed, you know, fatal T bone crash that often occurs at a traditional intersection. That's just one of the tools that we have available to us, and one of the steps that ITE took on early on under its Vision Zero initiative was creation of the ITE Safety Resources Toolbox. And this is available on our website, and it catalogs over 700 different resources that are available in electronic format. It's searchable. 
It allows people, as they're wrestling with a particular problem or issue, to get their hands around the knowledge that exists today so they can start with that knowledge and begin applying it in, in that goal of doubling down at what works. So I think that's one thing that I would point to. A second in the area of accelerating um, technology, ITE recently issued a position statement on connected and automated vehicles. And what we tried to do in that statement is convey both an optimism about the potential of the innovation and entrepreneurship that we're seeing uh, in the private sector and that's coming into our industry, but we also express some concern and the need for a strong government role to ensure that as we look forward to the technology that it is tested and deployed in a way that improves the quality of life for all citizens. We went on to uh, lay out some key tenants, and one of them is, is the point that Deb made, that we have technology today that is available in the marketplace that saves lives. It's just not available on all vehicles for all drivers, and that needs to be one of our strategies, as well as ensuring that as we bring on more advanced um, technologies, that they go through the right level of testing and evaluation in off-road environments before we put them on the road. So, again, that's a contribution that ITE made, not only to take that position for our members, but to really try to stimulate discussion within the industry and to get feedback on that, on that position, which we know will evolve over time as the technology evolves. We're also working through our meeting, our annual meeting this year will be in Minneapolis in late August, and it will have a significant emphasis on connected and automated vehicles as part of that agenda. Uh, we are putting together the National Rural ITS meeting, which will take place in Scottsdale, Arizona, in October. And that will look at the potential of technology in more rural settings. So we're also trying to bring together um, public sector officials and private sector entrepreneurs to really collaborate in identifying ways that we can accelerate technology. And then finally, we are uh, very pleased to have received a new grant one of the uh, Road to Zero grants, um, and it is an effort that we will be undertaking collaboratively with the Vision Zero Network to look at the issue of speed. This was a, an issue that was cited last year by NTSB as a critical factor in reducing the number of fatalities and serious injuries, is better managing and controlling speed. And we have an effort that is looking at or will look at particularly in metropolitan areas, and looking at how we use kind of the combination of an advocacy approach with the tools and the safe systems approach that I was talking about earlier, where we're really looking at how we design and operate the infrastructure in a context-specific situation, that, that urban environment, and how we can manage speeds in a way that protect all travelers not only our drivers, but very importantly, our vulnerable users, our pedestrians, and our bicyclists as well. So that's an effort we'll be starting here shortly and, and working on over the, the next year. And then finally, I would want to hi highlight an effort that ITE is collaborating with many others and the Transportation Professional Certification Board in establishing a new road safety professional certification, a credential for those that are working in our transportation profession, but who focus 
some or all of their time on saving lives. And that new credential will be available starting in October of 2018. And what we hope it will do is elevate the safety profession and bring more attention to its importance in the broader uh, transportation community. You've been listening to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. Our guests this month as we begin our new series on Vision Zero have been Debbie Herzman, the President and CEO of the National Safety Council, along with being the Chair of the Road to Zero Coalition. And we were also joined by Jeff Pignotti, ITE's Executive Director and CEO. Debbie, Jeff, thanks so much for being part of the program. Thank you so much. much. Have a safe day.